Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are going to study the Chivas Halavavis Shara Betochen. Once again, continue to analyze the incredible writings of the great Rabbeinu Bechaya. And this is a continuation of the previous episode. We are talking about dealing with other people. Now, betochen, trust, is the kind of endeavor that's supposed to give you tranquility. You're supposed to be able to completely relax, have no anxiety whatsoever. I didn't say you did not work hard. I didn't say not toil. I said no anxiety, no worries. The truth the truth is that a person has to work very hard. King Solomon wisely notes that Adam la'amol yilmad. A person was born or created in order to work. Everybody wants to be happy. Many people mistakenly think that they will be happy if they wouldn't have to work. If they could have everything they possibly wanted without making any kind of effort. Our Torah tradition tells us that nothing could be further from the truth. There's this idea that the Gemara calls Nama de Chisufa, that literally translates as bread of shame. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It robs one of dignity when you are on what they call the mooch system. Just benefiting from the largesse of others, it would seem. Or even receiving everything in a manner that requires no ingratiation. You win the lottery. But you're making no effort. Everything just comes. For free, as they said. Nothing is for free. There's a price to pay for everything. And when a person receives everything he or she could possibly want or need with no effort whatsoever, he or she is not going to be happy. And there are so many examples of this. People think money will make them happy. People think fame or fortune. People think a fantastic partner in life. These things will make them happy. But if it's not something you work at, it's not something that you feel you've earned, 
doesn't really make you feel good. Now this is interesting because we've already learned in great detail that whatever it is you have is a gift from Hashem. We also learned that Hashem makes you a proverbial partner, necessitating effort, toil. This is something that God ordained specifically for humanity. There are many creatures, from vegetation to the animal world, who virtually have everything they need. And they're sustained with God's benevolence. And they don't have to work at all to obtain what they're looking for. I'm not talking about the animals that have to hunt to live. Some animals don't have to hunt. Some animals don't have to squirrel things away for a long winter. Whatever they need is available. Whether it's certain reptiles or the creatures who slithering creatures who are able to sustain themselves from their environment and do not have to make an effort in the world. It may work for animals. It doesn't work for people. People need to toil. People need to expend effort. And yet, despite the fact that this is the way Hashem ordained things to be, Hashem wants us also to remember at every single juncture that the success we have is a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's not something that has come to us by virtue or because of our efforts other than by virtue of us following the Torah's instructions. The Torah's instructions to us, God's plan for humanity, is that we must toil. If we're to live godless lives, as so many sadly and tragically choose to live, then we, we believe in ourselves and we think that we bring ourselves the success. This is a mild form of idolatry, the gravest sin, one could argue, in the, in the, in the repertoire or retinue of sins that a Jew can possibly do. The worst of the worst is idolatry. Believing in oneself, believing in one's own efforts, believing that you are the master of your destiny and that you are the one who creates the successes that you enjoy is a mild or perhaps not such mild form of idolatry. So we have to toil and make effort sincerely. As if everything depends on us and at the same time work at being mindful that it's not in our hands. And it's not as a result of our efforts. That's challenging. Well, of course, Yiddishkeit is challenging. And it is by overcoming the challenges that the natural or easy path presents that we achieve righteousness and greatness. So what can Betachan do for you? It can't remove the responsibility from making toil or effort or working hard. Of course not. That wouldn't be a virtue. That's a demerit. What Betochen can and should do for you is remove anxiety. So in earlier episodes, we kind of tracked success and failure, 
having and have, have not having. And, and we talked about betochen. How does a person, how does a person live a, a life? Well, what about my health? What about my family? What about my prosperity? Rabbeinu Bechaya educated us. And he shows us how one can live with perfect tranquility by placing your reliance on Hashem Yisbarach. That's the meaning of betochen. But what about people? People can be so difficult. As they say in Yiddish, people can take your neshama out. They can give you so much stress and so much angst. If you're in the people's business, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Working with people is very challenging. I have a friend whose father didn't come from a yeshiva family, if you will. A nice family, really. An illustrious family, but a family that had drifted away from full observance. And, and the youngest sibling goes to yeshiva, and the family owns a chicken farm. And, uh, you know, they thought, they thought this was cute, his parents thought. You know, go to yeshiva for a year, two or three, and then you have bar mitzvah, and, you know, okay, enough of that. And they came and they said, uh, Yankel, time to come home. And Yankel said, no, 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 I, I want to stay right here in Yeshiva. And they said, but what will you do to make a living? Here we have the chicken farm. And Yankel said, um, I'm going to be a rabbi. I want to be a rabbi. And his wise mother, she was a wise woman, she said, Yankel, Yankel, it's a sagringe to handle with chickens, we didn't mention it's much easier to be in the chicken business. And he didn't have a charmed or easy time of it. So it is easier to deal with chickens. Hey, <laughs> the Rambam's son, Rabino Avram, says that's why the Shvatim, that's why the patriarchs and the tribes elected to deal with sheep people are difficult. Well, we all have to deal with people. We all have a, a social network. And invariably, even if you're dealing with chickens or sheep, you still have to engage in some kind of commerce, some kind of exchange, barter system. And people can give you grief. You, you still need to have a, a social network. You're going to come together with a community. You'll have show politics. It's not, it's not possible any other way. Political science is a fact of life. So regardless of where you are in that spectrum, you're always going to be dealing with people. And in our dealings with people, we sometimes ask people to do things for us, either because we can't do them ourselves or because we don't have enough time to do them. And we talked about that in great detail. Now, you and I are going to be on the other end of the spectrum. We're going to be the ones who are being asked to do something. We've been told that nobody can take credit for success. 
does that translate into not accepting blame? What if I was given a task and I dropped the ball? This is not my fault. <laughs> I mean, God made that happen. What if I did my best? Can I simply say, hey, I did my best. I can't do anything else. Should we even bother trying to rationalize or explain what, what happened or why things went wrong? These are really important questions. And they're questions whose answer can make a world of difference in our interpersonal relationship. If I haven't bored you to death and you're still watching now, I'm really glad because the information that I'm going to share with you today can make your life a lot better. It really can. Taking credit, accepting blame. We're all in a work position, either as employees or maybe when somebody asks you to do something for them. Say you don't work with people. You're a professional. You're a giver, not a taker. Well, that's fine. Has it never happened that somebody asked you to do them a favor? Surely you are high-minded enough to know that it's a privilege to be able to help somebody. What if you try to help and it doesn't go well? These are real questions. Real questions that need real answers. This is the Betochen strategy. I can just about promise you that if you will listen carefully today and then take these ideas and implement them within the frame of your own attitude and endeavor, that you will live better as a result. Well, here's your money back guarantee. So stay with me and let's continue. I believe this is the 29th part of Pedicavi in our in our in our series. And we're continuing now. And similarly, so too, if you are somebody who is being asked, before we talked about you asking, you making the request, you doing the hiring, now you're being hired or asked to do the favor. So how should a person whose life is infused with the spirit of betochen behave? How should he or she view circumstances when others are asking you for your help or assistance? Says the great Rabbeinu B'chayim, Yevakesh mimenu mishalamaylo mimenu oishalamata mimenu the first very important thing is it doesn't matter who's asking. Somebody might think if a person who is far greater than I, greater doesn't have to mean greater in the arena of holiness or, or, or ethics. It's a powerful person. Person with wealth, Influence, connections, charisma. I need this person. 
this is, this is important for me. Because if I please this person, then good things can happen for me. And if I disappoint this person, then bad things are going to happen for me. I'm worried. I got lots of anxiety now. You might think. Or, <laughs> that person, they should be lucky enough I'm even looking in their direction. I owe them nothing. I'll tell them, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do my best. <laughs> I once heard from the legendary Chassid, remember Futafak? And he said, you know, he said, now that I've come to North America, he said, I've escaped from the Soviet Union, I have learned a new way to say, there's a phrase in Yiddish, which I'm not going to repeat online. It kind of means jump in the lake, only it's a little more colorful. Something more, more, more like kiss me where the sun doesn't shine. So he said, I found a new way to say it. And Yiddish is it's not so vulgar. Yiddish is not a vulgar language. But it's a little vulgar. <laughs> I found a new way, he said. I never knew how to tell somebody to jump in the lake. I never knew how to tell somebody like, you know, tell it to Sweeney's grandmother. You know, kiss me with a sunshine. I never knew. He says, now I found a new way. It's a nice, it's such a nice way in English. It's a beautiful language. It's a nice way to say it. Mendel had this wonderful manner of, of colorfully describing a circumstance where it doesn't matter if you weren't even listening. Now, by now, everybody's listening. Like, what's he going to say? He said, when I ask a yid to do something, he tells me, I try my best. I try my best. He said, I try my best. It's a beautiful way to say jump in the lake. I have no intention of helping you in any way, shape, or form. I try my best. So is that okay? Can you tell somebody, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do my best for you. And you don't give it a second thought? Well, besides the fact that that's just not true and a person has to live in a manner of honesty and integrity, why should I assume blame? They asked me to do a favor. I'm doing them a favor. If I'm doing them a favor, they should be happy I even put any effort into it. Could I have put more effort? Well, maybe. I'm doing them a favor. Is that appropriate? After all, I'm just doing you a favor. A senior colleague of mine once, once told me that if you're going to hire a lawyer to deal with a circumstance, he says, never ever take somebody who says they'll do it for free because they'll do it half-heartedly and they won't do the job right. And I learned this the hard way. You get what you pay for. And if you paid nothing, expect nothing. There are always exceptions. But by and large, the rule holds true. So, from a Betochen perspective, is that okay? Rabbeinu B'chayim makes it clear that the chain, all of the things we spoke about, and the most, I'm getting a comment, speak louder. All right, I will try to speak louder. From all the things we have discussed previously, and especially in the previous episode, we talked about the concept of that meritorious things happen by virtue of meritorious people, and it's not you who did it. God does it. You were fortunate enough to be God's mechanism, the vehicle through which he delivered success or prosperity to another person. So now, 
אם יבקש ממנו, Previously, it was the other way around, like what you got from somebody. Now, if you're the one who's giving, says Rabbeinu Bechaya, important. Firstly, it makes no difference if this person is powerful and rich, somebody who you need. It makes no difference. No anxiety necessary. You have betochen. Eh, that person's a nobody. I'll whatever. I'll just do something to have gone through the motions If God wants them to have it, so then miraculously they'll have it. I don't have, I mean, ask me, I got to do something. Wrong, 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 wrong. It matters not. If it's in your dealings with other people, you have to be straightforward. Deceit in dealings is not appropriate. It's a violation of Torah ethics. If you have no intention of helping somebody, then you have to say it. I'm sorry, I do not feel comfortable getting involved. And don't wait a week. Just be straightforward. People may not like the answer, but at least you were honest and you responded. Now, Rabbeinu Bechai doesn't say you have to respond. And sometimes there are ridiculous requests, please trust me, ridiculous requests that people will make. You don't have to respond to every request somebody makes. When somebody makes a ridiculous request, I don't know, I think you could just treat it as such. Sorry, I'm not responding to that. That's inappropriate. But if you choose to respond and you are going to try and assist somebody... So now when they ask you for assistance, regardless of what position they occupy in your network or in society, so then if they ask you a chayfetz, they ask you to perform something that they desire, they're asking you to do something, by the way, I forgot to mention that if you're looking into... The Sefer Shara Betochen that was published by Kahos. We are now on page 160. So if a person asks you, Chefetz, the word Chefetz is very similar to Rotzen, to desire. Only Rotzen means will and Chefetz means desire. Somebody desires something and therefore they're asking you, please go ahead and do this. Then you should do your very best to help them in a wholehearted fashion. Everybody who asks, I have to respond and do work for and do in a wholehearted fashion. Not really. <laughs> Not really. Actually, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is going to make a, a little bit of a uh, proviso here. He's going to say, assuming that this person is deserving and it's appropriate, Don't make the mistake. Don't come back and say, Rabbi Kaplan said everything everybody asks you have to do. I never said it, and Abin Abachai certainly never said that. That's wrong. That's ridiculous, in fact. People make many, many inappropriate requests, and sometimes they don't even deserve to be responded to. At least, that's my, my uh, opinion, for whatever it's worth. But, if this is a person whom you intend to respond to, you are going to respond to, 
And it's going to hear an appropriate. This is an appropriate request from one who is deserving. So then, if you're going to do it, then do it wholeheartedly. Don't do things just as we say in Yiddish, whatever, I, I had to do something. He asked me, so I, so I did something. I went through the motions. and no intention of helping him. I didn't want him to succeed. I went through the motions. Then say it, or don't say it. But don't say, I'm going to do my best, quote, end quote, do my best. If you're going to help somebody, la say, say, doesn't say, he doesn't say, do your best. He says, do it wholeheartedly. Do it wholeheartedly. If you're doing it, put your heart into it. If you're not going to put your heart into it, you're not going to do it. Tell him, I'm not comfortable. I can't do this. Sorry. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure about what I'm going to tell you now, but it would seem to me that most people would prefer an honest response than a dishonest, you know, kind of a patronizing response. I think if you're not planning to help somebody, you should say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not able. You're asking me something I can't do. Or I'll do that which I'm able, but it's very limited. Because honesty is a virtue. And guess what? You know when people are selling you a boat, you know. They know when you're doing the same. They know. It's not appropriate. If you're going to do it, now, why doesn't Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar just say, Yase, Becholibay, do with all your heart? He says, Yesavev Lasaisay. It's a very unusual word. So, what does it mean? In the Gospel edition, they translate it as Yesavev Lasaisay, you should make every effort. But of course, that's not what the word Yisavev means. Some of the other English uh, editions, they, they translate it as, go about doing it wholeheartedly. It's not what Yisavev means. Siba means a cause. Every cause has an effect. Every cause does not necessarily have the desired effect. Right? Sometimes you try really, really hard and you fail. Sometimes you, you feel you hardly tried and success came your way. But we have talked about this so much already. Success is not your achievement. Hard work is what you can claim paternity for. You can invest yourself. You can make the effort. You can create the causes. Whether that will beget the results, that's in Hashem's hands. And nobody knows for sure. The best doctor in the world can perform a procedure in the most punctual fashion and the result can be a disaster. 
every time a patient is lost in the hospital, it's because of doctor negligence? That's just not true. There could be factors that the doctors and nurses had no idea of. They couldn't have known. There's lots of things that are inexplicable. We don't know why it happened. So what should the medical practitioners do? Say, hey, you know what? We don't know what we're doing anyway. I mean, we know a lot of things, but, but uh, that only happens 90 times, 9 out of 100 times. And we don't know why the 100th time is different. We don't know. We just don't know. This is the best of our ability. We've had studies done on this, and it seems that X, Y, and Z produces such and such results. So we're going to go through A, B, C to get X, Y, and Z. And yes, out of 1,000 times of A, B, and C, is at least one time that XYZ does not result. We don't know why. So what's the Torah thing to do? Say, well, it's all in Hashem's hands. We're not going to do anything. You're sick, just sit with like folded hands. It makes no difference. No, that's, that's actually wrong. We're talking about medicine because it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy metaphor. The Torah will say, whatever conventional medicine says, you should follow. The Torah does give a great deal of credence and credibility to the medical practice. And they have their methods, scientific methods. It's a science. And whatever the numbers are, whether it's a 51% for the real drug versus 50% for the placebo, which it probably isn't. It's probably several points higher. Whatever is deemed to be medically effective, whether there's a a 20% rise a precipitous rise, whatever it is, whatever the, the, the medical practice has. Not, not the pharmaceuticals, because they want to sell drugs. But whatever the medical practice has, in their methods, their independent methods of corroborating whether something's an effective treatment or not. Once the treatment is done, it has to be done wholeheartedly, sincerely. The doctor who walks around saying, I saved your life. I get golden hands. Nobody can do it like me, almighty me. Yeah, that's not a good fellow. What do you mean? He saved lives. Says who? He went through the motions. Hashem decided that many lives should be saved through him. That doesn't mean he saves the life. Hashem saves the life. Maimonides, Rambam, was a great doctor. So was the Rashba. There were many other great Torah luminaries who also practiced medicine. The Rambam wrote a prayer for a doctor. A prayer that a doctor should recite before he or she goes about administering the medicine or performing a procedure. So what should you do? Your darnest, your best. The word means to make it. You don't really make it. There's no guarantee you will make it. But you can make the best causes possible. You can put everything in place so that it should be made. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu should bless us. As Moshe Rabbeinu famously blessed the Jewish people when they finished creating the Mishkan, the repository for God's presence amongst them, the structure that would house the Shekhinah, he said, May it be His will. This is a prayer and a blessing. That God's presence will dwell in your handiwork. It's not just an idea that applies to Mishkan making. It's a general approach to life. We do our part. We create the mechanism in the vehicle. And now we hope that this cause will be effective. In a positive, an intended way. So Yisavev la Yisavev, Yisavev, a key word here. 
You're putting the causes in place. You're doing the things you can as best you know wholeheartedly. And then he says three very unusual words, but this is a book that requires a tremendous amount of study, my dear friends. You can read the Shara B'Tachem, but you will never know it unless you study it. This is not for casual perusal. V'yishtadel l'hashlimoi b'matzpunoi. This is different than Yisavev It's not just wholehearted effort. The Yishtadel, he has to put forth the effort, lahashlimoi, to complete, to finish, to carry this out. Now, matzpun in, in modern Hebrew is usually translated as conscience. So this would be Conscientious. But how is conscientious different than wholehearted? I think both imply integrity. I think both imply sincerity. I think both imply honesty and, and effort. So, so what's the difference? What, why is Rabbeinu Bechaya repeating himself. And in fact, on the surface, he actually seems to contradict himself because first he says, he should put the cause in place so that it will happen. You don't make it happen. You do, you do your part. And then he says, after you did your part to make it happen, then you then put the efforts, the word comes from the Hebrew shalom, which means intact, complete to bring it to fruition, to actually carry the ball across the finish line. But didn't we just say nobody can actually make things happen? They can just make efforts? So if all you're making efforts, then why do you say lahashlime? But then again, he doesn't just say v'yishtad lahashlime. He doesn't say try really hard to bring it to fruition. That goes without saying. You made your best effort. You did this wholeheartedly. You put the causes in place. He says lahashlime b'matzpunay. So I mean, some just uh, explain this that you're doing to the best of your ability. You're marshalling every ounce of, of, of wherewithal you have. So it's, it's hard for me to kind of swallow that because as I understand it, and I could be wrong, but as I understand it, wholehearted also means whole able. That's, that's the meaning of wholehearted. If you're doing something, I'm going to invest whatever ability I have into doing this. Otherwise, I'm not wholehearted about it. I'm half-hearted about it. The Rambam famously illustrates business ethics insofar as employees are concerned by highlighting the behavior of our father Yaakov, father Jacob, who said, He said to Rachel and Leah, he said, I worked for your dad with every ounce of strength and wherewithal. I invested everything I have. And the Rambam, based on this, goes on to say that a person who has two jobs without telling the other employer is actually behaving in a manner that is underhanded and is not 
called integrity. Because if you work during the day, you need to get a decent night's sleep. And if you're working at night and working during the day, then you're not working during the night or during the day because you're exhausted. And part of the bond or responsibility that a person who signs up for a job has is I'm going to take care of myself and get myself a decent night's sleep so that I'm able to actually do my job. Let me make it really easy for you. Doctor shows up for work. He's been partying all night. He knew he has a major surgery today. It's a 12-hour surgery. One of these marathon, incredibly difficult procedures. You know, with like a whole team of people. But this guy was out partying last night. Yes, yes, he knew he was performing surgery this morning. But you know, you know, it was a, it was a great party. Oh, he drank too much, ate too much, slept too little. But that's okay. He's, he'll do the best he can. That's not the best you can. The best you can means that you're obligated, you're responsible to get a good night's sleep. You're responsible not to use substances that alter your reality so that you have a hangover the next day. And if you do, then you are not performing your task with integrity. It's as simple as that. Do whatever you want on your time, but your time can easily spill over into somebody else's time. And if you're getting paid by the hour, then you need to make sure that the hours you're on, you're really on. It's not different than the person who's sitting at his or her desk, supposed to be working, getting paid by the hour, and they're watching YouTube videos. If you're watching this video, and you're supposed to be working, and you're getting somebody to pay you to watch me teach you Torah and learn Torah, but you're doing it on somebody else's nickel, guess what? Please, X me off right now. That's not fair. It's a privilege. It's a gift. It's an honor for me to be able to share words of Torah with you. Not on somebody else's nickel. That's called theft. And if binge-watching Shara Betochen keeps you up all night so that you're not able to work the next day, that's a problem too. So if Yisaviv la'asesi b'chol if I'm going to do this wholeheartedly, then for heaven's sake, what is the meaning of yishtadil la'ashlimai b'matzpunai? So like the article version says, sincere effort. Yeah, that that's sincerely doesn't work for, work just, just doesn't work for me. I, don't, I, I can't understand it that way. Well, the good news is that it seems I'm not the first one bothered by this. And some of the Mepharshim actually speak about this. The Paslechem is usually our go-to guy. You know, he's like our big brother in the schoolyard when the bullies come. He really, really takes us through the words. It's tremendous respect for the teachings of Rabbeinu Bachaya as they were rendered by Rabbi Hudi ibn Tibbin. And he says... It says, Yestavev la say, and then it says, Yestadel la shlimai. There's, there's got to be some, some meaning here. It's not, it's not repetition. So he says like this The Paslechem says, Yaasaik besibos, he should engage, asik, involve himself in things that can cause, that can bring 
mechanisms, envelopes, conventions that can bring success. Nothing brings success. Hashem gives success. But the success appears to come in the guise or in the frame or, or delivered by a particular convention or envelope. So you need to make those envelopes, so to speak. He has to make those efforts. And then the Paslechem says, V'yishtabel b'chochmosoi v'tarbuleisov b'matzpunoi. And he says something absolutely amazing. He says, use your wisdom. Use your wits. To do it conscientiously. Which means, don't make it look like you did it. That's not conscientious. I know you're working hard. But don't go around claiming paternity for success. Don't say, I did this. Don't say, I made this happen. Say, I worked really hard to achieve these results. I'm grateful that Hashem has blessed us. And that includes the conscientious, the matzpun of the way the paslechem renders it, includes not drawing inaccurate or, shall we say, exaggerated attention to oneself. Discreet, modest, humble behavior. <laughs> it's, very, it's very not uh, 21st century. Why? I mean, who cares if I draw attention to myself? So what? Hey, dude, aren't you trying to live with betochen? Aren't you trying to live a life of tranquility by virtue of your trust in Hashem? I, I thought you were finding fulfillment through your relationship with the Creator. Well, your relationship with the Creator necessarily should rule out smugness and arrogance and conceit I did you didn't really do anything you're grateful to Hashem that things worked out you tried hard you worked hard for that you get credit for working hard for devoting yourself for going beyond the call of duty to do the very best you can without saying, hey, does everybody see what I'm doing? That's not called Yishtadel Lahashlim Bebematzpunov. In other words, he translates the words matzpun almost as discreetness. The Paslechem says, Yishtadel Bechol Ha'efsher. You have to make every effort La'asoto Bahatzne to do it quietly. Who's going to know that I did it? Who's going to... How am I going to get uh, extra points? Who's going to know how great I am? Well, actually, you're not that great. It's more like you're lucky. Or blessed. Hashem, for reasons perhaps unbeknownst to you. Maybe it's a merit of an ancestor, a wonderful grandmother or grandfather. 
Maybe it's because of something good you once did. He's chosen to bring blessing through you. That should humble you, not make you arrogant. It should say, look, I'm grateful to Hashem. Something wonderful has come through me. What a blessing. And this is all im yizdam This is all if circumstances present themselves as such. What if circumstances don't allow for it? Then don't do it. What if I can't pull it off? Then don't be silly. Don't go in there and saying I'm doing it. If it comes your way. And he says, And the person making the request is deserving, appropriate. Why do I care if he's not appropriate? Who am I to decide if somebody is deserving or not? It's a good question. I mean, what, is, what does Rabbi Nachayim even mean when he says that this is the case when the person who is making the ask is somebody for whom it is proper, appropriate, for you to apply that effort. In the Kahat version they say, they say, the person who asked, who asked for the request is someone who is deserving of his efforts on his behalf. Sounds very judgmental. The Menoyach Alavavis sets out to explain this. And he says, That this person that you're trying to do favors for, that you're responding to, deserving what you're about to do. An example of this says the Menoyah Chalavavis, can be found in the Gemara in Masechet Bava Basra, in Daftes Amad Beis, with regard to giving tzedakah. Now, of course, many people tend to view tzedakah, most often mistranslated in English as charity, as about me. I, I'm charitable. I, I give. But Torah has a very different view. Charity is about the giving. I'm charitable. Tzedek is an objective statement about what is right, what is just. And tzedakah is about you making the effort to ensure that the right thing gets done and that somebody else doesn't have to sacrifice their dignity or be ingratiated to you for doing the right thing. When you give tzedakah, the proper thank you is tiskele mitzvahs. You should merit another mitzvah, another connection with Hashem. You're not supposed to be waiting for a person to, so to speak, kiss your shoes and pledge eternal loyalty and allegiance. And he will be your indentured laborer for all time because you've been kind enough to give what's rightfully yours. You've been charitable 
and now expect him to recompense grandly. Instead, you thank Hashem for the opportunity to do the right thing, for the privilege of being a giver rather than the recipient, and you hope Hashem will give you more mitzvahs, more opportunity. That's the right way to look at tzedakah. So, so part of this is, the Gemara says, Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak Omar, that the meaning of the Pasuk, Roidif tzedakah, Yimtzot tzedakah, that the person who pursues, we'll call it charity for brevity's sake, but really righteousness. The person who pursues that righteousness will find righteousness. Does it mean that a person who pursues righteousness and giving to others will someday have to receive? That would be pretty ridiculous. That's not exactly motivation to be righteous. So the Gemara says, no, I'll tell you what it means. Anybody who pursues righteousness through righteous, quote, end quote, charitable giving. Hashem gives you continued opportunity to give tzedakah. It is impossible to give tzedakah if you have nothing to give. The more you have, the more you can give. Having more should translate as having opportunity to give more. Imagine that. That's the way to look at having. Having the privilege of giving. The more you have, the greater your privilege. You can make what they call in the world of philanthropy a transformational benefaction. Whereas a person who doesn't have that, that kind of opportunity can't make transformational benefactions. They can make small contributions. You can make enormous contributions. You can transform, as it seems, the landscape of life. That's a privilege. Rav Nachman by Yitzchak Omar, he says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mamtzi Libnei Adam Muhuganim La'aseislam Tzedakah Hashem provides you with suitable recipients, people deserving of Tzedakah. So the Gemara is disturbed. What are we getting at over here? And he says that the reality is that sometimes people don't pursue tzedakah. They give under duress. They're forced. They're forced to be charitable. They're not happy about it. Or maybe they believe in Charity for other people, but they don't like to give themselves. Or maybe they even give, but they don't want anybody else to give. Because they don't like giving really altogether. They're doing what they have to do because they're forced to do it. In the Mishnah Perkei Avod, it's like this. He's not really giving. Not because he's just thrifty. He doesn't, he doesn't enjoy giving. He, the Mishnah starts off that there are four kinds of givers. He is a giver. He's a giver, a lo-yitin giver. I don't want to give. Oh, you twist on my arm, you shame me into it. Fine, I'll give something. So what happens? People like that who forced themselves to give tzedakah. 
So what happens is that they end up giving tzedakah to those who are not deserving of tzedakah. So they don't really get the reward. And what's the reward? So Rabbi Shuva Levi says, A person who is wont to give tzedakah merits that he has wise children. Children who make a contribution, a positive contribution. Children who are able to teach, uplift, and inspire others. And he goes on to prove this. The Gemara goes on to prove this. The point then is this, of course. Giving tzedakah to the wrong people, or the wrong cause, is not actually a good thing to do. So, but they asked. I have a maternal cousin who devoted himself in his youth to rescuing children from cults. Jewish children were snapped up by these cultish, fiendish, exploitive groups. So he tells the story that in, in the 1970s, when he was really involved with this, before the FBI got in his tail, for doing the terrible thing of saving people's children from cults, right? So there was a, a very famous radio show host, a talk radio host. I don't want to say his name is no longer alive, and it doesn't matter. It's, it's not, there's no reason to speak badly of a person. But what he did was bad. So he has the head of one of these groups, one of the worst groups, the most, most exploitive groups, a group, uh, a cult that, that, that had bilked literally millions of from people, destroyed hundreds of thousands of lives, co-opting them into a, a life of virtual slavery. They're not so well-known anymore, Baruch Hashem, not nearly as successful as they used to be, but there was a time they were very, very successful. And of course, in the name of religion. So this radio show host hosts know, either the head of this cult or, or a, a very well-positioned part of the leadership. And he gives them this glowing hour on the radio in the New York metropolitan area. So my cousin calls him up and he says to him, how could you do that? How could you do that? You mean you're, you're uh, I understand you don't uh, learn Torah, do mitzvahs, but how could you do that? Terrible people. Stealing children. Kids who are looking for meaning in life who end up wearing ridiculous looking robes, shaving their heads and working all day for a cup of rice at the end of the day. And enlightenment, of course. It's like slavery. The minds are co-opted by these, these horrible groups. So, so the guy says... You know, I, 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 I met them, and they seemed very sincere. To which um, my cousin, Avishia Hecht, said, he says, yeah, they are sincere. They're sincere about stealing your children. They're sincere about stealing your money. Well, they asked. Well, what was I supposed to do? Are you kidding? You don't give to everybody who asks. You don't respond to every request you get.
when I first moved to this country, we had a prime minister. It was very, I thought it was a strange guy. He would, he would make these outlandish statements. So, so he was in the Middle East. He's in Lebanon. And he meets the leader of one of the most vicious, murderous terrorist groups in the world. The leader of Hezbollah. He shakes his hand. And they say, Mr. Prime Minister, like, you shook a murderer's hand. He's a mass murderer. He's responsible for the murder of thousands of people. And he says, well, you know how we are, Canadian. We, uh, we are nice people. We shake hands. What are, you, what are you, out of your mind? What are you smoking? Everybody who extends a hand, you shake his hand? Anybody who asks for something, you give? So, of course, these are extreme examples. I'm talking about, about cult leaders and, and, and terrorist masterminds. But on some level, if you're going to respond to somebody who, who's seeking inappropriateness, whether it's exploiting others, whether it's just meanness or immorality, it's wrong. You say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Suppose that you're an observant Jew. I try to be. And somebody says to you, please, I want you to advertise uh, my non-kosher, kosher-style restaurant. And I say, well, I mean, he asked. What am I going to do? He, he asked me a favor, so I'm, so I got, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna promote it. <laughs> Says no one ever. What do you mean? Okay, you're doing the wrong thing. As far as I'm concerned, you're making a lie. You're selling a lie. You're, you're deceptively suggesting that what you're selling is kosher because it's kosher style. And the people don't care anyway. If they really wanted it to be kosher, they would ask the question. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't want to promote that. I try to dedicate myself to promoting Jewish observance. Not the opposite. Now these are examples that are black and white. And a lot of areas in life seem to be gray. So how you find out whether something is the right or is the wrong thing is beyond the purview of this class. That's something called Aseh It's a Mishnah. You have to have a spiritual mentor. You have to be ready to take direction and follow the direction that you get. You have to know when to ask a Shaila and you have to know how to listen, how to obey. People say, oh, that's very judgmental. <laughs> really? Do you allow your children to go to all homes? What if it's a home where there's uh, pornography? Do you allow your children to go? You say, I'm sorry, I don't want my child in that place. Why? What if there's dissolute, immoral behavior? What if the parents are, are drug addicts or alcoholics? You say, well, you know, how can, I be not, how can I be rude? Of course you're judgmental. You judge who you want to be friends with and you judge who you don't want to be friends with. You judge where you want to eat and where you don't want to eat, where you want to be and where you don't want to be. We all make judgment calls. Judgment calls insofar as what I will choose to engage in. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You're a wonderful person. And that which you did, which I believe is objectively wrong, is probably something I would have done if I would be in your situation. That doesn't, that's not called judging the person. But I have every right and, in fact, every responsibility to size up a situation. And yes, I'm not only allowed to have an opinion, I'm obligated to have an opinion of what's right and wrong. Not my opinion, the Torah's opinion. And the Torah says it's wrong, then it's wrong. 
And if somebody asks me to do something which is inherently wrong from a Torah perspective or inappropriate, then it's my, not only right, but my responsibility to say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to assist. I can be polite about it. But I, I shouldn't say, well, you know what? This person is asking something which is really, really not so good, so I'll, I'll just try a little. I'll do whatever, I'll do something just, just to get him off my back. Ben says no. He says no. If you want to do this, if you're going to do this, do it without trying to draw attention to yourself with the humility knowing it comes from Hashem. If this is a situation that came to your hands, whether it's a job you got or a favor that you're doing for somebody. The person who's making the request is appropriate, suitable. This is something which you believe to be right. If you're not sure if it's right, then you find out, ask a shayla. And then, and then, my dear friends, then put your trust in God. No anxiety. Why aren't you anxious? What if you fail? I fail? I can only fail if I fail to make the effort. I can't fail. If Hashem doesn't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. And if Hashem wants it to happen, it's going to happen. I am not responsible for results. I am responsible for sincere, wholehearted effort. I'm responsible to do the best I can. And if the person's going to fire me from this job because I didn't produce results, then Hashem wanted me to be fired. I have no anxiety. Hashem decided I should have Parnassim from somewhere else. That might turn out to be the best thing that ever happens to you. Here's a ridiculous but profound story. If I share it, I'll wake you up when I'm done so you can rejoin us. But they say this is a real true story. A Polish Jew, he emigrates to the United States. He doesn't speak the language. He's keeping Shabbat. He can't find a job. He finally gets a job as a shamash. What they call in English a sexton. An attendant in the synagogue. You know, keep it clean. Keep the lights on. Control the temperature. Make sure the books are in order. He's a shamash. It's not a glorious job, it's a job. And he's in a holy place. Fine, he's happy. There comes a particular day, and there's a wedding at the shul, and the officiating rabbi calls the shamas to be a witness. And happens to be, this is a very, very prominent family in the synagogue community. He signs the ksuba. And in those days, they had many of these, perhaps like Hebrew English, even though it's really not appropriate, because... The English almost never says what the Hebrew says. In fact, it, it's almost impossible for it to say what the Hebrew says. So it becomes like a contradictory kind of document. And very, very few proper Rabbonim use such certificates today. But once upon a time, it was very common. So he assigns his name, and it's just a fine Hebrew handwriting. It's says sign in English. He makes an X. He says, excuse me, please sign your name. Sign my name. I, 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 I signed my name in Hebrew, but like... Machachsime, he says in Yiddish. He says, sign. He says, I, 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 don't, I can't. I don't know how to write. And this very prominent member of the synagogue turns to the rabbi, we have a shamas in the shul who can't read and write. He doesn't read or write English. Fire him. The rabbi says, listen, his job is to put the books. He, he reads the Hebrew. No, that's an embarrassment for our well-coiffed synagogue. We should have a shamas who reads and writes. 
forces to get fired. And here's a fellow who's doing the best that he could, trying to be a shamash of the show, he got an honest living, and now he's fired. The story goes that he couldn't get a job because he keeps Shabbat. Shabbat observant. He ends up getting a pushcart. He's collecting shmapas, and he's selling little strips of leftover cloth, but you know, somehow he's all of a sudden turning a profit. And from cloth, it turns into other things. And eventually, from one pushcart, it turns several pushcarts that he has, people operating for him in the Lower East Side. And eventually, from the pushcarts, he's able to save up enough, and he actually opens a dry goods store, as they used to call it. And his dry goods store is phenomenally successful. Fast forward to the 50s and 60s, and it becomes a chain store, a franchise. He's a very, very wealthy man at this time. And he's in the bank in the late 1960s, and he's signing for a, a huge loan for a tremendous expansion of the business. And the banker tells him to sign. He makes a quick X. He says, sir, is that your signature? He says, yeah. I, I, I'm an immigrant. I, don't, I never really learned. I didn't have a chance. I didn't have the privilege to go to school. I had to make a living. The banker says, wow, you, Mr. Such-and-Such, such a successful business person. Imagine if you knew how to sign your name, what you would be. He says, I don't have to imagine. If I knew how to sign my name, I'd be a shamus in a shul. It's a great story. It's a true story. It's a great story because it illustrates exactly what Rabbeinu Bechaya has been saying all along. It's in the hands of the Rabbeinu Shalelam. And if I am not destined to succeed, no amount of effort is going to change that. And if I am destined to succeed, I will have the privilege of getting that blessing if I work for it. That's the way Hashem ordains it to be. And if I don't work for it, I may not merit the privilege. Not because my efforts bring the results or make the success, but because HaKadosh who grants success when I make the effort. I have to make a proper keli. I have to make a proper vessel. If I made a cup that's filled with holes and I want to know why is the coffee that God's pouring in my cup spilling all over? Because you have a cup full of holes, you fool. It's your responsibility to get a proper cup. But your cup doesn't produce the coffee or the water. That comes from somewhere else. Somebody is pouring into your cup. So you make the effort. And if you make the effort, no anxiety. Now imagine how liberating this can be. Imagine living with no anxiety. I'm not worried. All I need to do is the best I can. What if I fail? I fail? I can't fail. It's not me. Imagine if I'll succeed. If Hashem grants me success, I'll thank Him for the good fortune. If Hashem decides that I have to fail, well then, that's the way it had to be. What should I have anxiety for? What happens if you're successful? And if God makes it happen, because the Rabbeinu Shalaylam, the master of the universe, is always in control. He makes the hashlama. God places you that you should be a cause, a reason for somebody to have success. Thank Hashem. Thank you, Rabbi Nishalelam. I'm grateful to have been put into a position where I can make a positive difference.
but you're not really making the difference. You're fortunate enough to be the vehicle through who Hashem worked, and you might have earned it, that blessing, by virtue of your honesty, your integrity, your wholehearted, sincere devotion. Your efforts, that earns you the blessings. Vim imenu. And if Hashem prevents me from this, it doesn't work out. Hashem doesn't arrange it. It was the right thing on the wrong day. Who knew such and such was going to happen? How could anybody have predicted it? They couldn't. So how do I do? You do your best. By virtue of the information that you know now, with the methodology available to you at this moment, Al Yashim Nafshay. Do not take the blame. This is so liberating. This is, this is amazing. I am not to blame. The only thing I am to blame for is my lack of honesty, my lack of integrity, my lack of commitment, my lack of hard work. That I'm to blame for. The end result, if I did my best, I'm not to blame. You want to blame me? That's your problem, not mine. You want to give me grief? That means that Hashem decided that I should get grief and you are the unlucky idiot who's delivering it. And by the way, because you chose to prosecute me for something that was beyond my power, you will pay the price from God. That's not my problem. That's a sin to prosecute somebody, to, 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 to go after somebody, to give him pain and grief because of something that wasn't his fault because you need a scapegoat. You need somebody to blame makes you a bad person. You know who you are. That's why Hashem made you should watch this at this moment. I know. I point one finger at you. I point four at myself. Because we all make this mistake sometimes. We have to do tshuva. We have to sincerely regret having blamed people and scapegoated people. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of belief in Hashem. It's, it's suggesting that people have mastery over your destiny, but nobody does. Only Hashem has mastery over a person's destiny. A person who lies to you, a person who's deceitful to you, a person who claimed to do their best and in fact didn't, has done you wrong. And you have the right to be disappointed. But a person who's done the best he or she can, who's been honest, straightforward, loyal, sincere, it wasn't meant to be. Just like that. It wasn't meant to be. The doctor didn't save your relative's life. The doctor didn't kill your relative. That was Hashem who decided, a person who is negligent, a doctor who partied and abused drugs or alcohol and came to work in, 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 off-kilter, unable, inept, has done a terrible sin. And he or she has a lot of reckoning for what happened. But you, the person on the outside who did the best you could, got the best doctor, got the best, the best nurses, the best facility, did all the things you could, and then it didn't work out the way you wanted. You did your best. You see, my friends, you can't come to somebody and say, you're not allowed to accept or assume 
that the success is yours, but you have to take the blame. It goes both ways. And now Rabbeinu Bachai says something quite fascinating, and with this we're going to conclude. He says, not only al yashim is nafshai, sorry, I just want to see any questions here. All right, that's a nice comments. If something is unclear, something is not, not fully explained, please let me know and I'll do my best to try and explain it. Rabbeinu Bachai now goes off on a, almost like a separate, it's like a new issue. It's not really, but I mean, it's a continuation. It's, it's almost like a separate, a separate thing. He says, now, number one, don't take the blame. It's not you. And then he says, let your companion know you didn't cut him short. You didn't hold back. You did the best you could. After you've made the efforts, after you've done everything you could, you say, my dear friend, I've done everything I could. I believe I've executed the duties that were, that were requested from me to the best of my ability. I believe I've done the best that I can. Why do I have to tell somebody that? What difference does it make? If they want to blame me, that's their problem. No. Wrong, Rabbeinu Bechai says. You have, you have to tell the person. Tell the person, I'm not responsible for what happened. I can't be responsible. I'm not God. I want you to know I did my best. Very difficult to understand why this is necessary on the surface. I mean, you can do that. But you know, if a person thinks it's your fault, you're telling him it's not your fault isn't going to change it. And if a person understands that in the end everything comes from Hashem, so what do you have to pat yourself in the back for and say, you know, I did my best. Either they give you the benefit of doubt and assume it, and if they're being judgmental of you and assuming you didn't, then that's their problem, not mine. Why do I have to go and say I did my best? But I do. That's clear. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is very, very clear about this. He says you have to inform the person. You have to inform the person. What, do I have to tell him? He's going to say like I'm sticking it in his face. Ah, you're trying to now pass the buck. Pass the buck to God, huh? You fail and then you blame God? He says, no, no, no. I, I didn't fail. God made this fail. I did my best. Why? That's a good question. Why do I have to say that? So, some of the Mepharshim say that the reason is that, is that maybe Hashem wants that person to do the work by themselves. Maybe, it's, it's not as if things weren't done right. Person, you know, I didn't succeed because things weren't done right. Now I got to get the right person or I have to get, do the right thing because it wasn't done right. Part of your responsibility to living and dealing with integrity is to tell the person that you actually did do your best. They should know. They have to know this. They can do with it as they please, but you have the responsibility to let them know that you did your part. 
Now, the Tev HaLavanan says, amongst the other things, he says, I want you to know that it's important to tell us to the person because you, you actually do have to do your best. And he says, otherwise is to suggest you did when you didn't, and that is deceitful. That's not appropriate. The Teva Levanan says, Do not be deceitful toward your companions. Do not be treacherous. As if to say, I worked so hard for you. I try to sell your product. Nobody wants to buy it. The person gets all demoralized and says, oh, Forget it. I'm never going to make it. Maybe, maybe he has a perfect keli for a parnasa. And Hashem wants him to do that little bit of effort and everything's going to be fantastic. But he won't make the effort because you demoralized him. That would be a very sinful thing to do. You're actually harming somebody. So tell the person, listen, you might have a fantastic product. I have to be really, really straightforward. I failed to make the proper effort. And then I realize now that, you know what, I, I, I don't think I can make the effort. I didn't realize. I thought I could. I thought I had the time. I didn't make the right effort. It's probably a good product. You need to find a proper person. I was the wrong person. 99 times out of 100, the person will appreciate your honesty. And you've now given him the invaluable information. The person knows if they should try or not. Somebody says, I want you to call such and such. See, to get me into this hospital. You call, say, I'm not going to call this doctor about him. Say, eh, yeah, I, I called. He doesn't want to help. And then the person's not going to make the call. But actually, they would have helped if somebody would have called. So if you're not making the call, say, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable making this call. I can't. I can't for a variety of reasons. Please, you have to accept this from me. Don't ask me why. I can't make this call. Okay. If they don't want to accept it, that's their problem. But if you said, sure, I'll make the call for you, and you didn't make the call. But all that Hashem was waiting for was for somebody to make a keli. And because of you, the keli was never made. The vessel was never created. Because the person thought, oh, you're taking care of it. So you have a duty, says the Tevalabonin. You have to report back and say, you did the best you could. The Neder Bakredish says further, he says, I want you to know when it says don't accept guilt, it means don't accept guilt in their eyes. Don't say, I am to blame. I am to blame. Let them blame me. At least they'll feel. Don't say that. I am to blame is almost as bad as saying, I am the reason for the success. Both are not true. Unless you didn't do your part. So, Yashim Nafshay means don't, don't make yourself, commit yourself as guilty. It's almost like, rather, and you should say, I am not guilty. I am not responsible. I am not to blame because I did my best. So in the Nether B'Kodesh's view, it's, it's one like one run-on thing. But the Paslechem says, as I started telling you earlier, he says, because you are going to just not deal with the situation. You're not going to tell me you did your best. This will weaken his resolve. He says, you know what? Eh, I'm demoralized. Demoralized. It's not working anyway. I'm never going to succeed. Say no. It's not for lack of effort. I was not lazy. I didn't drop the ball. I've worked. 
He says, because there's two things. After I've toiled and made effort. What's the difference? So the Paslechem says, Yitrach, toil, tircha, is like a burden. It means begufoy. I physically toiled. I, I, I burned the midnight oil. I spent hours working on this. I was really, I was, I was engaged. I wasn't thinking about something else. I put myself into it 100%. Not just physically. Mentally, cerebrally, emotionally. I was there. I did the best I could. And as the great Rabbi Ephraim Zalman Margolius writes, basing his words on the Shara B'tochen, he says, he says, you have to tell somebody. Because sometimes, for whatever reason, Hashem ordains that the blessing shouldn't come through you. But maybe it will come through somebody else. Now, if you didn't make the effort, you don't know that a blessing couldn't have come through you. You didn't allow the blessing to come through you. You are responsible. You didn't make yourself a worthy vehicle. But if you did, and you should tell your, your friend, tell your companion, tell the person, I must let you know that it was the will of Hashem that I shouldn't be the vessel. Whether or not this is a vessel altogether, I don't know. But I want you to know that I did my best. And maybe Hashem didn't ordain through me. Maybe it's not you, it's somebody else. <laughs> no, there are many stories of one person trying something, other, and then a third person tries and it, it takes off. Why were they successful? Oh, afterwards I write a whole book telling you why they were successful. I'll save you the read. Because Hashem ordained it to be so. What was the mechanism in which Hashem dressed up His will or how it came about? A whole constellation, a whole perfect storm. But Hashem arranges all that. Assuming that the first people made the full effort. But if they didn't make the effort, they didn't make the keli. And this takes us into a very, very interesting place. A very interesting place. So you need to put the effort, and you not need to feel guilty. The Marpel and Nefesh says it's not just in his eyes. You yourself don't walk around with feelings of guilt. Don't have pain, don't have anguish, don't have anxiety, don't have <laughs> bad feelings. Because Betochen is supposed to free you from that kind of stress. But there's another whole element here, my friends. And that is, as some of the Mepharshim tell us, that a person shouldn't suspect you of having done less than you could have. Why? Because there's this idea of something called in the kiyam. You have to be, you have to be clean, so to speak, in the eyes of people. I care what they say. Yeah. You need to make the effort. You need to make the effort to ensure that you don't look guilty. You have to be above suspicion. If they choose to blame you, that's their problem. But you need to do your part in ensuring that nobody should be suspicious or assume that actually you are to blame because you didn't put the right work in. This idea is articulated by a phenomenal statement in the Gemara. Phenomenal statement. It's the end of the, first, of the second halacha and the third chapter of the Jerusalem Talmud, Mesechet Shkalim. And over there, the Talmud describes how 
they would raise the funds for the offerings in the Beit HaMikdash. Everybody would give a half a shekel. And all these half shekels would be collected into drums. And then it had to be taken out of the drums. You had to spend the money. And the person would go in to be toirim, to, so to speak, lift the funds, to remove the funds so that we could actually purchase the offerings. There's like, they would, they would make him go in with tight-fitting clothes that didn't have any pockets. So if he was putting money in his pockets, you'd see a bulge. And he couldn't go in with a wallet. And he couldn't have a jacket. And, and they, they kept speaking to him the whole time so he shouldn't put any gold coins under his tongue or stuff his cheeks. And the Gemara was like, seriously? Well, who are we sending in? Like, like a common thief? And, and the Gemara says, have you seen the key? And nobody should be able to say, hmm, that rabbi looks so pious. I bet you he's a thief, a sheep, uh, a wolf in sheep's, uh, sheep's clothing. That's what he is. He makes himself so pious. And we, the people, are giving the charity, and he's stealing the donations, or something like that. You got to be above board. The Gemara says, Gemara says like this, there was a sage whose name was Gamliel Zuga. He was a people's person. He was involved in Zugot, in couples, a matchmaker. At least that's uh, one opinion. That's the common opinion of, of the Gemara. That, that's who he was. Gamliel Zuga. He said, Which is the cleanest, the most open, obvious verse in them all. And about this idea. So the Biyasi answers, Simple. The Yisim Nikiyam Hashem. Umi Yisrael, this verse that says you should be, so to speak, clean, above suspicion, be vindicated before Hashem and before the nation. This is in, in the Bamidbar and Pedic Lamed Beis. Kapitel Lamed Beis, it's a Pasuk, Chof Beis 32.22. Okay, so, so there's another, there's another girsa, there's another version of this Gemara. The version of the Raivid is, what's the hardest mitzvah? the hardest mitzvah and the answer is the hardest mitzvah is not to be clean in Hashem's eyes Hashem knows the truth but to be able to be vindicated in the eyes of people you can see who cares Torah cares it's important this is a very different way of understanding the words of Rebbeinu B'chaya but it's a very it's a very profound way you have to notify people so they shouldn't be suspicious you need to be vindicated before them. I want to end by sharing with you a phenomenal Chassam Sofer. The Chassam Sofer in his responsum. This is in the volume of, of um, Choshen Mishpat, which is with law, but it's in, in the back there's like a codicil, which is called the Likut Shut Chassam Sofer, a collection of miscellaneous different so the 59th tshuva, the Chassam Sefer, is writing to one of his disciples. And he says, My son, he says, Da b'ni v'talmidi. Ki kol yomai hayisi mitztair ala mikrazeh. All my days, he says, this verse of the scripture causes me inner pain. 
And that is that I have to be vindicated before God and before the nation of Israel. He says, it's fulfilling both of these duties that I find so vexing. It's two separate responsibilities, he says. There is Nikias, there is being clean, so to speak. Mehashem from God, blessed be he, and Nikias Misro. And he says, although there are two separate responsibilities, one rides upon the other, and they are conjoined at the hip. He says, the first is pretty easy for me to fulfill. I guess if you're the chasam sofer, it's easy. He said, uh, to fulfill my duties towards heaven, towards to my creator. He says, that's, you know, I can do that. But he says, it's much, much harder. It's much, much more difficult <laughs> to fulfill your responsibility, to be vindicated from others. Because they're constantly being suspicious. They're constantly attributing guilt, lack of effort, responsibility, blame. And he says, the punishment for the second is much worse than the first. He goes on to write in his truva, he says, I thought many times about this. Is it even possible for a person to go through life above suspicion? Who could fulfill this verse? He says, maybe this is what Shlomo HaMelech said when he meant, that there is no righteous person in the world who doesn't sin, does good but doesn't sin. He says, because with all the good you do, do people really ever give you credit? Or do they look to blame you when things don't go well? Or assume you didn't do everything you could have done? And he goes on about this. Beyond the purview of, of um, this class, but the, the, I thought it was a fascinating chasam sofa to share. And the point, of course, is that Rabbeinu Bechaya says, we have a duty, a responsibility to come clean. So you did your best. No anxiety. It's in Hashem's hands. I've done my part. I did the best I could. If it's a success, I'm blessed by Hashem with success. If it was failure, this is what Hashem decided should be. And I, as long as the full, wholehearted, sincere effort was made, and I did it in a way which doesn't draw attention to myself, as long as that's the case, I can live easy. I can be at peace. I can have inner tranquility. I can free myself of anxiety. I inform the person who made the request. I did the best I could. And the rest is in the hands of Hashem Yisbarach. And this, my dear friends, should make your life a lot easier. To remove a tremendous amount of stress. All you got to do is work hard. All you got to do is what you're able to do. And the rest, leave it in Hashem's hands. He knows best. So the neighbors to help, and may God help that we be privileged 
the Torah we share together should have a positive impact on ourselves and on those around us. It should serve to refine our perspectives and to humble us properly before Hashem Yisbarach. To be grateful for the gift of success and to know that if we fail having done our best, this too is the gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided serves us best. To know that Hashem loves us and wants us to fulfill our destiny, our mission, and our purpose. And keep giving it your best. And we should be blessed. Blessed with success that is overt and obvious. Blessed that as a result of Ma'asenu Vavadaseinu, as the Altareba puts in the 37th chapter in Tanya, as a result of the efforts we make during these exilic times, that we merit to see the coming of Mashiach, Bimheira, Ubi Amenu, speedily, and in our days, Amen. Thank you so much for joining today. Have a beautiful day. I look forward to seeing you back.